Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Thank you for joining us so much this afternoon, folks. This is John Grace and Daniel Medina on Fiscal Fitness, where we bring to life what's going on in the news with the, and help you separate the noise from the news. We'll talk more about the news. We'll identify the noise, but we'll separate the two. Uh, and let's just get underway here uh, because it's, I think it's helpful to kind of put things in perspective. Uh, and a lot of times when it comes to the markets and whatnot, we see with, with the media is famous for looking at what the market did on that day. We can, we can discuss that as well at, at, the, at the close of the show. But I think it's helpful to see what's been going on for the year, for example. We don't really get that perspective. And whether you think it's positive or negative, I think it's helpful to be able to see the situation as it is. So looking at, uh, we're, these are all numbers based on year to date, which means from January 1, 2020 through uh, 3.03 p.m. Eastern time today. And we see the good news as far as the markets are concerned. The NASDAQ's up 19%. Uh, and, and, and by the way, the last time I looked at the high, I think it was at 34%. So something is happening here. And now the NASDAQ is primarily tech stocks. And, and we've seen a lot of information in the news about some of the uh, tech stocks that have been running away with the market share. And that is a, a true statement in many cases. And, and one of the things we like to look for is breadth. That's with a D. In other words, is the market more thinly traded, which is not good, as opposed to being more robustly traded where there is more depth where there are more companies participating in the upside as opposed to five or 10 companies participating in the upside. The way that that gets kind of twisted is we get focused on the index, not recognizing that the index may be driven by as many as five or 10, 15 companies. And that's that happened back in 2000. We see that happening today. But a lot of companies below the, that line are flat or even uh, hard to imagine losing money. So when we hear about, uh, what was it, Daniel Tesla up uh, about four times, it's 400%. Uh, I think it's more than that, actually. Well, see, and that's the thing. It makes you think everything's just going through the roof, uh, and it's not. So that's the good news with the NASDAQ, and kind of give you a sense of what we're saying here. The standard Poor's 500 is probably a better indicator of what's really going on in the economy because it's a it's a uh, an index of 500 stocks. Uh, that's probably a better read, and and that as of today is up. This is 0.79 percent. That means it is not up 1% today. So when we hear about the Teslas and we see the S&P 500, which is a mixture of all kinds of companies, small and large, growing and shrinking, 1% is, well, certainly not remarkable. And then we get to the Dow. That's actually where the whole thing started, the Dow Jones Index. It started as 10 stocks. It was first formed. They, they brought it out to 30 stocks and they've limited that um, index to the top 30 stocks and market capitalization. So you might think of the as, as, as NASDAQ as maybe new companies, just to kind of make it simple, more tech-oriented. Dow Jones certainly would be maybe older companies that, you know, that have been on the Dow Jones, been around a long time, but they're not hitting new markers or with new coming out with new products and whatnot, like certainly you were seeing with the technology industry. 
the, at the end of the day, um, or the end of right now, at uh, 3.06 Eastern Time, right here today, year to date, the Dow Jones is off. That's negative 5.82%. So we see, you know, at one extreme, a uh, big gain as far as the NASDAQ so far, although less than it was. Uh, not a big gain with the S&P and an actual loss with money held in, in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So that, that kind of gives you a sense for what's going on. We'll get into more of the details. You're certainly welcome to call us or text us, or, and Daniel can talk about how you do that. Message us uh, in, in terms of questions. Love your questions. It really helps us drive the material. But speaking of material, uh, we have Daniel Medina here. Here's my main math man. We've been uh, working together. He's been on board since about uh, 2006. And, and by the way, one of the things that we uh, were struck by shortly after Daniel joined the firm is we were at a workshop and the speaker who we thought a lot of in terms of the information the speaker was sharing, but the question the speaker shared was really quite fascinating and it drove us to do a whole lot of work. The question that the speaker made was, you know, this is again, 2006, we've seen one 50% decline in the stock market, that would be 2000 to 2002, NASDAQ didn't, did not do that well, it was more like 80%, right? According to Yahoo Finance, as we look back, uh, suppose there's another one. <laughs> so we got in the car and I looked at Daniel and we go, that was a very good question. Can you imagine there could possibly be two 50% losses in the same decade? I've never thought of that before. That's never happened before. But just because it hasn't happened before doesn't mean it won't or can't happen. So as we were talking, we, we agreed that what we wanted to do was say, well, let's consider this as a possibility. And then maybe more importantly, let's look at our clients' portfolios and start with our largest client, which at the time was a pension fund of about $10 million, uh, to look at what we might be able to do to limit the, the downside participation. In other words, um, maybe we can see what can happen to, uh, to, to mitigate volatility so that maybe the market might be down, but that doesn't mean that investors' accounts have to be as down as much. I mean, there's gonna be pluses and minuses. There's, you know, past performance is no guarantee of anything. We all know that, but it, 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 I thought it was helpful for that question to be posed and us to kind of wrangle with it, if you will, to see what might we be able to do so that if there is another significant loss, uh, our clients don't have to see their money go down like the Titanic, never to see light at the end of the day. So Daniel, you're seeing some interesting things in terms of uh, patterns relative to how new investors particularly are changing how they're entering the market. Tell us more, please. Yeah, this actually came from our article you sent me over the weekend from CNN talking about people ditching in-person financial services for apps. I thought that was fascinating. And it, this article submitted that Robinhood, which is um, a, a no-cost broker, online brokerage, is now more valuable than MGM and Wynn. I thought that was an interesting comparison, given that those are gambling companies. Yes. But, and Robinhood actually added over 3 million users so far in, in 2020. It, it's amazing how people are gravitating towards towards those platforms, and I think there's a lot of reasons for it. Particularly this year, if you're looking at the if you're looking at the, what happened earlier in the year, we shut down. There was stimulus. There was additional unemployment coming in, so people had this influx of money that they didn't know what to do with. And some people started suggesting that you put it in the stock market, 
And that's what happened. A lot of young people started dumping money into the Robinhood apps of the world and, and the Fidelities and started buying companies that we believe that they know. Those are the Teslas and the Facebooks and Amazons and Apples of the world. And that's, that's possible. Some people believe that's what's caused a lot of this tech run up. Um, that certainly makes sense to us. But the bigger question is, why are P, the fintech companies like Robinhood, they're going to be here to stay, but do people really understand what they're doing with them? There's a lot of things that, that, people, that people are buying that they don't really understand the risks that are involved. So when we look at these companies and we look at people doing this, and I've had these conversations with people over the last few months, what we want them to look at is, do they really understand the risk that they're taking? Do they know that these positions can move very violently and against them very quickly? Like Tesla, as an example, is off about 11% today. If you bought Tesla this morning, you were off 11%. How would you feel? So one well, of the things- I, Yeah, I think that's the real question. I mean, people always want the upside. And a lot of people, I think you're right, are looking at fear of missing out, right? The, the market's going through the roof. I need to get in now. And, and they're making small trades with little money. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But I wonder how well prepared they might be. I mean, what did we see, Daniel, in terms of a loss uh, February 19 through March 23rd? Uh, how significant was that loss and how fast was it? I believe the S&P was off about 35% in that, in that time frame. And that's like 30, 33 days, 34 days. Right. Like extremely violent. Well, and the last decline we just saw a little bit earlier, uh, right, was off, what, uh, 10% in three days. I think it was the fastest decline on record. It's that decline that I, I think uh, most people have not considered. Yeah, I think you're right. And what most people, if they're going to be doing themselves, do they have an exit strategy? When you're buying a stock, do you know when you want to get out? If you're buying Tesla at 400, at what point do you want to get out? Those are the things you have to consider when you're making these kinds of trades. And if you're going to be doing it yourself and you really want this job, that's what you have to think about. Are you putting stop losses in place? Do you know where your entry and exit targets are? Those are important questions, folks, because people like putting the chips on red or black, right? And for many of these folks, maybe they're not gambling the way they used to. So this becomes a new way to gamble. And, and many of them, it, it appears, have gotten into the market, guess when? At the low. So they've only seen more upside than anything so far. As we say, uh, we're wondering how they might feel if that account moves against them down 20, 30, 40, 50% or more. Um, so when we uh, work with folks, we want them to understand it. The, the, we think the, the, the smart money looks at uh, what are we buying and why, what purposes is it supposed to serve? And at the same time, under what conditions are we going to sell? I mean, we're not just going to sit on this forever, <laughs> right? It does make sense to buy low, sell high and reposition and maybe catch the next wave. Many people don't do that, but that's because they're happy with the gains, but they haven't given any thought in advance of where's the exit strategy. And I mean, just to put it in real simple terms, raising my, my two boys, Matthew and Mark, I, I made sure we went to a theater that they would, uh, I would get in front of them as just as soon as we were getting into the area where, you know, the theater past the last door. And I would say, okay, where are the exit strategies? And they would have to tell me before we'd be able to sit down. And my real point was, of course, to help them see before you get comfortable, recognize in an emergency, what 
other doors you might need to get out of while everybody else is crushing each other trying to get through the door they came in. And that's the point. We need to see and, and identify in advance these exit strategies so when things go awry, things move against us, when the real excitement and the real fear there's good reason for genuine fear. How do we act calmly and collectively so that we can get our assets out of the room without being destroyed? Yeah. And one of the things that we do differently, which is something we've been doing for probably about the last what, 10 years, John, is we, we outsource the money management. We hire the professionals that all that they do on a daily basis is manage money. They're making decisions. Are we risk on or are we risk off today for this account, for this particular client? And to your point, one of the things we like to do and actually practice uh, before we put the money on red or black or, you know, say, let's go for value. How do you like growth? We're not going to ask you those questions until we ask you, how much risk are you willing to accept? And most of us, that's not a question we've been asked, so we've never answered it. We get as close to, are you conservative, moderate, or aggressive? Our problem with those words is that no one really understands what they mean. And, and by the way, we've had clients tell us, rocket scientists tell us, well, you know, I'm very conservative. And we're looking at their, you know, they have uh, $3 million in five pieces of property and uh, $4 million uh, with 80% of it in stocks. And, and we kind of have to look at them and then smile and go, well, I hear you, but your statement is reflecting a very different story. And I need you to know, I believe your statement. <laughs> I think you want to believe you've convinced yourself you're being conservative, but when you have so much of your net worth in one asset class or two, in this case, it's real estate and, uh, and, and stocks, that's not being conservative by most people's definition. So we don't, rather than get lost in those weeds of, you know, is my definition, your definition, why don't we bring it down to brass tacks and get through four or five questions so that, that we ask of you, we're not telling you or, or slotting you, you're looking at these four or five questions, discovering how much loss can you find acceptable on a uh, as far as percentage is concerned and dollar amount. So for example, we have one couple uh, we had the pleasure of working with in, um, who live in Hawaii and uh, we, we went through the questions and their answer became 8%. Then we took the time to go back to look to see what their current portfolio did back in 2007, of course, 2008. Nobody remembers that. And, and so we're gonna assume that the portfolio has not changed. We're taking it as it is. And Daniel, the math man's running it backwards to see what did these positions do in 2008. So we're gonna assume the positions have been the same from January of 08 to today, all right? And at the time that we did this with this couple, they were astonished that when the market was off 37%, their portfolio was off over 40%. Astonished. Now, of course, the, the account has come back since then. But for them to see, well, their aha moment was, well, let's see, that's when we weren't spending money from our retirement accounts and our investments. And in the next two or three years, we're going to stop working, which means we're going to start taking money from our investments. And we can't afford a 30, 40% loss in the next two years, like we saw back in, in 2008. That's an aha moment for us. That, that's, that's really valuable for them to see, oh, that here's our number that did uh, a multiple over and above what our limit was. That's, we don't want to do that again. 
So then we go back and we prepare another portfolio and, and to try and look at it apples to apples. How did this one perform? And in this case, we saw that in 2008, it didn't do as badly. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was not uh, nearly the same kind of loss number. So that's the question that, you know, the work that we do is customized. So we can't give out specific numbers about, you know, client accounts, but this is what we're trying to ask you to consider. We all enjoy the upside, but most of us aren't prepared for the downside. And that's something we do for, for new clients at no cost to look at portfolios and, and give them our opinions as to what, what they're trying to do and if their portfolio is really designed to do that for them. So then reach out to us. You can contact us at contact at ybpoor.com. Beautiful. So one more thing on, on this note, uh, and that is that, uh, you know, there are some folks that we know and have a lot of respect for that recognize, uh, they call it the smart money versus the dumb money. So the smart money are those folks, and, and there are, uh, in fact, in this club, there happen to be 800 people where there's a net worth of uh, over a hundred million dollars. So they would consider those the smart, that, that group, the smart money. What, you're, what, what they also report is what often happens is uh, the smart money gets out of the market and it's the dumb money or the little guy, if you will, who gets murdered at the gates because they get in trying to catch this wave. And then the wave ends up catching them <laughs> and throwing them down and not letting them get up for air. So that's the thing that happens so often. And that's one of the things we're, we're, uh, we're wary of right now, all this new money that people are trying to double and triple. And, and many of it's on, on margin, right, Daniel? I mean, these are, these are leveraged dollars. So many of these positions, are, they're, they're trying to um, increase uh, exponentially their return on investment. That will happen in an up market. But that same, any, any kind of leverage, as you know, is, great, is your friend on an up market, is your enemy in, in a bad market turning against you. Okay. okay. Let's go to break and then we'll come back. Sounds good. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. Uh, John Grace and Daniel Medina here at Fiscal Fitness. So glad you could join us. And you know what? Looking ahead a little bit, um, we see a, a, an impending government shutdown. So we want to talk about that. And, and I need to put it in perspective by saying that our, our trademark happens to be the proof is in the planning. Planning. Is, is the, where the proof is, okay? Kind of like going on vacation. You don't just get on, a, on an airplane, find, find out where it's going after you've already put on your seatbelt and kept on your mask, uh, or get in a car anymore. You don't drive anywhere, right? Let's go check out the new freeway. Oh, no, no let's not do that. So we're really have gotten uh, accustomed to doing things on the fly. And right now, and I think that's at every level, including the government, maybe to a fault. But it looks like we might be in a situation we were in before, and I want to kind of re- remind you of what that was like. We, are we nine days away from another government shutdown? So let me paint this part, then I'll ask Daniel to, to pick up the, 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 from, the, from there. And that is, if you recall, this was what, December 18 through January of 2019? And these are government workers tend to be educated. Certainly they're well compensated, but do you remember seeing those folks live and in color on television crying, crying because suddenly their income had stopped and they didn't have the money for the car payment or the rent or the house payment or the child care or the parent care. So it seems as though one of the ruts we've gotten into as Americans is many of us uh, are one paycheck away from being homeless or nearly homeless. So what else do you see here, Daniel? It's amazing how time flies because it feels like we just went through this and now we are again. And I guess it's gonna be a, a more common theme than, than anyone would like. But uh, what we're seeing is really relates back to how we treat finances as a country. And that means the financial literacy in this country is just bad. We don't do the basic things. And one of those things is having some emergency savings. And when we're looking at people that have been out of work for 30 days and now they're destitute because they haven't had any income and they're, they're just done, that's, that's scary. It's scary how many people are in that situation. One of, the, one of the things that we start with with our clients is coaching. And that's just doing some basic financial coaching. And it doesn't happen in schools. It doesn't happen in high school or college. I know no one talked to me about it when I was there. But this is, these are the basics. How much do you have in savings? How much, where do you, where do you put it? Do you keep it in cash, in the bank, in a savings account, in a checking account? Or like a conversation with a client yesterday, in a, in a shoebox under your bed. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's funny what people do with their money and they're like, is that not a good idea? And like, well, now that you told me where it is, I don't think it was a good idea. I mean, it's supposed to place listing. I'm not coming for it, but you know, the people do strange things, particularly during strange times. So yeah, this is so important. And, and one of the things that, that we spend a lot of time on is uh, helping people see how they can live within their means. That's we, we, we have that habit, spend, baby, spend, right? Cash or credit, doesn't matter. As long as I look like I'm doing as well as the Kardashians, <laughs> good for me. Only the Kardashians have a real money machine going. That seems to be working very well for all of them. And many of us want to look like them, but we're not rolling like they're rolling. So I don't know why we're trying to posture like they can and frankly we cannot so it's really the, the people who really do well they're not it's not so much that they're good with math uh but they're not afraid of math what they're really good at and even if they don't use the term and by the way affluent people seem not to have an aversion to using the term budget budgeting they're, they're not afraid of, uh, of of using those terms and applying those principles so what it really means is looking at your cash flow and, and developing the habit of spending more less than what we earn, whether it's $2,000, $4,000, or $200,000 a month to the extent that we're overspending, that's a prescription for bad things to happen. Yeah, John, that's a good point. And it really does not matter how much you earn. The only thing that really matters is how much you spend. And it's amazing how many people think, I just need to make more money and I'll be okay. As soon as I get that raise or I get that different job, then I'll just be okay without even focusing on how much they're spending. And that's just the wrong way to look at it. It doesn't matter how much you make. It only matters how much you spend because you're, if you're ever spending more than you're earning, you're in trouble. Well, and, and we've gotten into another rut, I would say, you know, where it's all about what do I earn? And yes, I have to keep making more and more money. But it seems to be that we, we've developed, as I say, the spin baby spin habit, no matter what that kind of drives us crazy. And that's a way that people can't get settled in their own shoes and their own body because they're constantly chasing, you know, the next dot or the, the, the raise. And then they spend that in more. Whereas people who've learned how to live within their means, they know we have to save uh, every month at the beginning of the month, not at the end of the month or the end of the year where there's too much paycheck left at the end of the money. We need to set aside routinely 10, 15, 20% of our income. And here's an example. By the way, we are doing um, financial planning for all frontline workers at no cost. Uh, they give so much to us and, and get so little in return. So for us is a meaningful way of saying thank you. Uh, we want you to do well because you're putting everything on the line to help us be well. We think this is a, a fair, you know, this is certainly our way of applauding you so that you can see how much money you're going to need behind door number one to make work optional on your time frame. And an example might be one of the couples we were working with, their husband and wife making about $100,000, about 35, haven't really set aside any money, don't have much, if any, of a pension. We did account for Social Security. And by the way, that is something that we think is very important to do, to stay on top of the credits that you get with SAI, through SSA.gov, SSA you know, Social Security to make sure that they're giving you all the credits for the income that you've earned. And then look to see not just how much can I get how soon, but do look to see how by not taking Social Security, up until age 70 or 72, each year you delay taking Social Security, it increases by what, 8% on an annual basis? Now, what else is guaranteed to go up 8%? 
I don't know of anything. <laughs> so if you don't need the money or you can have money come in from other sources, you may find it's more advantageous for you, assuming you think you're going to live, that uh, you know we, we get this 8% increase for as many years as we can uh, to get top dollar. Now that tops off at 70 or 72, depending on your age at this time, but it, it's something we want you to pay attention to so that you can not just see how much you can get how soon, but what can I get if I am patient? Might, might that be a reward that I want, want to accept? So to finish this point, they're 35. They decided they wanted to make work optional at 70. Part of the reason was because of the increased Social Security benefits at 70 for them and the lack of savings so far. It turns out that uh, as Daniel helped them work their numbers, they need to set aside 15% of 100000 That's what, $15,000 a year get a 7% return. And if that is the case, if they put in $15,000 a year for 35 years and get 7%, it, it, it'll be worth $2.6 million, which will be the equivalent at that time of what they want to replicate or $100,000 today. Now, of course, it's not going to be spot on, but keep this in mind. We saw the uh, Apollo astronauts, right? Uh, the crews were off track, as I understand it, uh, like 97% of the time. You know, they were only on track three or 4% of the time, all the way from here to there. But notice they got to where they wanted to get to on time safely and back on time safely. So this is something that you just can't set it and forget it or just throw darts and say whatever it does, it does. Uh, it's something you want to look at annually so that you can see how are we doing? Do we need to make adjustments? Do we not, I need to increase my contributions to 18% from 15%, but I got to get probably north of 10% to be perfectly honest. And that's uh, at the top of the paycheck at the beginning of the month. All right. Uh, you know, do we retire sooner? Is there a lot of people have a plan to work a certain amount of time? And it seems that many folks plans change because of an illness in the family. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's one of the workers. But that typically is, is one of the things people don't plan on. And it, it often makes them have to stop working sooner. Uh, so that's why it's so important to you don't, you don't have much to do these days. So with this COVID pandemic, uh, while you're looking at the house and maybe you're not driving as much, this is the time to really pay attention to your finances, to get your financial house in order, to take this time to look at what are we doing and how might we make this work for us on our time frame within our budget. Yeah, John, that's a great point. We're telling all of our clients right now to put together a detailed budget. They tend to be, for the most part, people are less busy today than they were nine months ago. It's a good time to kind of look through your finances and your checkbook and your bank statements and put down exactly where your money's going in a normal month, not in pandemic era, but pre-pandemic era, know where your money's going. It's that unconscious spending that really drives a lot of people's bad habits. So John, let's go over some financial planning basics or some okay. coaching basics. So one of the questions we get, over, we get a lot is, do you pay down debt first or do you save money? And ideally, we would say you want to do both. A lot of people have the great intention of paying down debt first and then putting all that money they were putting towards debt towards saving. Rarely happens in, on either side of that, but really would you want to do both? And if you can pay down debt and save some money, it serves a different purpose. There's, 
there's a lot to be said that ha having cash, because that when the emergency happens and you can't use the credit card, that cash is very, very important. Now, does that logic apply to school debt? Yeah, it does actually. Really, ideally, you want to be able to do both service service your debt and save some save some money, and that goes back to how much you're spending. If you know how much you're spending and where it's going, you can you can budget in both. And, in, and to Daniel's point, uh, we find that uh, the, the research shows that when people get serious about their finances, it's often in their, our 40s and our 50s. So when we're talking about a couple at 35 needing to save $15,000 a, a, a year, we find that when people wait until their 40s to try and produce the same results, now it may be more like uh, $30,000 needs to be saved. So you thought 15 was a lot, 30 certainly a lot more, but that's because now we haven't used time to our advantage and time is a real asset to the extent that we use it. Uh, it also allows us to see declines and have time to recover as opposed to trying to do it so, so quickly. Uh, so yeah, use time to your advantage, do pay yourself first. It, make sure you understand that GMAC, whoever you have debt with, particularly on the cars, they're gonna get their money or they're gonna get their car. But who's going to make sure you get your money if you don't? Uh, let's see. I hear crickets. <laughs> that would be nobody. So you are the one who has the, the first responsibility of looking in the mirror and going, okay, enough of this. I've got to get a handle on my finances. I don't care if it's $50 a month. I want to see an account where I have a little bit of money there, and then maybe I can belly up to the bar and add to that account. But it gets me in the practice. And, and what do, as parents, we try to teach our children. You make your habits, and then your habits make you. Second question we get a lot is how much of savings should I have in the bank? And that's really emergency savings. And the way I would want you to think of the money in the bank is that's your day-to-day -day money or emergency money. So how much do you need in there at any given time? Good rule of thumb, people say anywhere from two months to six months. I tend to stay on the, on the, on the lower end of that. Two to three months tends to be good. There's not a lot of instances when you're going to need that much cash in one shot. You want to be able to have access to cash. So for, and it's really, it's a personal question for everyone. We have some clients who need $100,000 cash in their bank account, or they cannot sleep at night. And we have other clients who don't need a lot of cash because they know they have access to cash elsewhere. Now, the reason we wouldn't want you to have too much cash in the bank or more than you're comfortable with is now you have, you're getting lazy money. And what we don't want is lazy money. That cash in the bank, particularly right now, is not paying you anything to stay there. And the bank's going to use it to make more money on it. So we want you to do the same. Know how much cash you want in the bank at any given time. Work to that target and then put that money towards other sources. Investments are great, possibly paying down debt, but don't keep that lazy money. Yeah, I mean, even if you're getting a 3% return and inflation's at 3%, guess what? Now you're flat. <laughs> That's a zero. And then if you have to pay taxes on the 3% on $100,000, $3,000. So after inflation and taxes, guess what? You've guaranteed yourself exactly what you were trying to avoid, a loss. And you will not make this up with volume. So, so yes, you have to have some uh, money readily available. But we have this daunting task of trying to get, like we keep using this example because it's a good one, 2.6 million, which sounds like a lot of money, but uh, as the equivalent of $100,000, it's not a lot of money. <laughs> so we wanna make sure you see what your target is and then how might you hit that target 
on time and safely. Another question we get often is paying for school for, for, for children. And this is, this is an interesting question because it's amazing how many, how parents think they want to do everything for their kids first, but they don't do the basics for themselves. They want to help the kids make sure that they pay for school, but they haven't done any of their own retirement planning or they don't have enough cash in the bank or they don't have their own investments. So one of the things we're, we're going to suggest is you are first. Make sure your financial house is in order and you have a plan to get to where you need to go. And then second, think of the kids. Yeah, <laughs> you're number one. <laughs> we want to make sure you're squared away. You could have nine kids and get them all squared away, educated, married with two cars because they crashed the first car, right? You do all of that. And now it's your turn. And what do they have for you? <laughs> There's that cricket sound again. Nothing. <laughs> all right. Uh, individually or collectively, they just can't pull it together. Right. So that's not that's not that is not hopeful. And, it, and hope is not a strategy. So don't rely on the kids. Make sure I uh, love the song, you know, every every uh, every child who has his own. And let's start with you. You're the first priority. Take care of you first. And then we can see what we might be able to do for the kids. But that's sometime in the future. And, and on that note, we see situations where people have done well and they started in our in our experience, maybe prematurely uh, giving money away to the kids. And of course, it's never coming back. And then all of a sudden, mom needs to go into a nursing home. And what were those hourly wages, the last one we looked at, Daniel? Uh, depending on how many, uh, depends on how many hours they were there. So when it was a 24-hour uh, job, it was 10 bucks an hour. And when it went to a, when it went to a six-hour job, I believe it went to $25 an hour. That spends a whole lot of money very quickly. And notice how they make sure that they're getting paid properly. Now, these are California costs in, in this experience, uh, but it's an example of how we let the kids make sure you have the will done. You've got the trust work done. The living trust is, 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 is set. You know, make sure people can see that you have an insurance policy and they know what to do with that policy as opposed to you hide it somewhere and they never get the money out of it that you put in it. So, yeah, we, we suggest you have these conversations. Make yourself first. Take care of yourselves first, the husband and the wife, mom and dad. And then let's see sometime in the future what we might be able to do for the kids. But that's a luxury. And you might be able to better afford it sometime in the future than you can by doing it too soon. So we've got to get to a break, Daniel, but what do you want the audience to know? You can find us on social media, on Twitter at, at Money on Course or on Facebook under Investors Advantage. And you can send us a tweet or send us a message through there. Terrific. And we'll come back looking at, is this a classic bear market trap or a new bull market? Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. 
So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina here on Fiscal Fitness. We're going to talk about how this market is doing from the standpoint, is it a bear market trap or a new bull market? We'll look at both sides of that equation. But I want you to know that uh, when we are giving you information, this is general information. We're not telling you exactly what to do because we haven't seen your situation. And, And I really want you to know that the financial plans we create for our clients are highly customized, uh, but they have three things in common. They're strong, they're safe and simple. Strong means they can weather market uncertainty. Safe means they protect you from unnecessary risk. We like to mitigate risk as much as we possibly can. And simple means you will understand everything you're doing all the time. Or as, uh, you know, uh, the Magellan founder, uh, or the, one of the biggest uh, portfolio managers would say, you know what you own and why you own it. <laughs> uh, because so many of us don't know what we own or why we own it. We want you to know each thing that we, which position we, we put in your portfolio is like a carefully uh, placed leg in your portfolio stool. And one of the things that we think is uh, valuable about that kind of an analogy is I think we can agree that if we have two legs or two positions that we own under our stool or you know, holding up all of our assets, uh, maybe even three, that's not as strong as if we had four or five or six legs underneath the same portfolio. So it just means that we're, we're doing a uh, be more diversified. We might be hedging, but we're not just in two or three places where we've gotten comfortable and haven't looked at some places maybe that are worth reviewing because they make uh, surprises to the upside in the places that we haven't looked at, while the things that we're familiar with disappoint us to the downside. So that's really what I want to say to you. So now let's look at this, uh, where we are right now, because, uh, you know, 
a lot of observers, including us, we've been mystified by the behavior of the stock market, mystified by the separation between Wall Street and Main Street. I mean, clearly they are completely divorced. And then despite a crippling blow to the economy, we got what, 40 million unemployment claims? Um, the near shutdown of major industries. Now we're looking at maybe the shutdown of the government, uh, unrest, civil unrest, and threats of military force against U.S. citizens, threats of military force against U.S. citizens. And then yet stocks have, at least for a while, recovered almost all of their losses. They, they did. And then guess what? They backed off. Now, we wonder, where do we go from here? Uh, and yet, we can't predict the future, we just wanna be prepared for it. So what we're saying is if we retest those lows of 35%, suppose it's worse than that before the end of this year, as we said before, we need to have some strategies in place about how we might reposition uh, the assets so that we can keep them intact, as opposed to repositioning the deck chairs on the, on the Titanic where we're moving out this tech stock for that tech stock, and then the whole stock market does what it has done before, uh, be off maybe 50%, sometimes it's been off 80%. That's when it becomes, when people get really sad, and, and, and they should, because it's, uh, it's not fun, it's, it's hard to have a nice day, and maybe more importantly, it may be hard to recover because there isn't enough time with which to recover or the market doesn't respond as quickly as you needed it to recover within your expectations and your time frame. So this comes from Business Insider and the author here is David Rosenberg, uh, says that investors are indeed falling into a classic bear market trap. So it seems that you know we have this sharp initial plunge which scares everyone. Uh, that triggers panic selling. I think we saw some of that back in March. In fact, I saw some neighbors well retired um, that I generally don't have these conversations with, and they wanted to suddenly talk about the market. As I say, they're well retired. These were like three or four men. It was like one weekend all at once. And I could see them, them looking like deer in the headlights. They wouldn't give details, but apparently if the market was off 35%, their accounts were off more than that. And they were worried. They didn't want to talk about it. I understand that. But I, it just suggests to me that maybe too many people are in that exact situation where things go awry and they don't know how to put uh, you know, a stop to it. So remember, the market has the uh, tendency of taking the stairs up, but the elevator down, baby. So what seemed to go up pretty consistently can reverse itself. And now it's kind of like Wiley E. Coyote and Roadrunner, right? Remember those cartoons we loved and I loved when we were growing up? They run off the surface. They seem to be standing in midair for what, maybe 30 seconds, but it feels like three minutes. And then they're looking at each other as they're flying down to the bottom with this pile of rocks at, the, at their feet asking, how low can we go? That's what we don't want you to go through. So there's some preparation that can be done regardless of whether we're looking at a melt up, but I'm saying we need to be prepared for a meltdown. So um, when we look at uh, in, in back in September of 2000, during the dot-com bust, the NASDAQ had recovered most of that gut-wrenching losses it's over at, in the spring, and most of the smart money believed the worst was over, but then stocks rolled over again. It became, uh, began a more sustained uh, pattern of decline. Um, and then, of course, uh, that, that meant that the NASDAQ finally bottomed down more than 80% from its peak. 
So, I mean, Daniel, do the math for us. As I recall, the NASDAQ in the last five years of the 90s uh, quadrupled. So $100,000 went to $400,000. And then you wake up uh, somewhere around March or, or maybe later in 2002, after the NASDAQ has dropped 80%, you, 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 you got to a peak of 400,000 with an 80% loss. How much do you have left? 80,000. 80,000. Now, take a minute with that, folks. You put it 100. It grew to 400. And then in the span of, what, uh, five, seven, eight years or so, you have 80,000. Can you have a nice day? I mean, that's a huge run. And to be left with $20,000 left, then you put on the on, on, on the counter, you know, or on the, on the table, <coughs> excuse me, that means that it's, it's just debilitating. And it, it often means that people really, as I say, not only can't have a nice day, but really are thinking about, can I have a nice life? So we saw this back in the, in, in the Great Depression one. Again, many of us don't study history. We don't like math, but we're gonna suggest that we embrace math, embrace the idea of budgeting and learn from history. So we saw that by the spring of 1930, the market had gained much of what it had lost in Black Monday. And as, as I recall, in, 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 in what I read, there was a gain of approximately 50% that seemed to hold for about six months. But then, numbers should sound familiar, two years later, 1932, the major index closed down more than 80% from the top. So there we go again. And, and, and our friend here, David Rosenberg, says that the, uh, what he's seeing is a similar pattern in 2008, a similar pattern to 1928 to 1932. So we may have some tough times uh, coming here uh, on the equation. And, and that we're looking at this happening, uh, as I say, possibly between now and even November 3rd. So, you know, what we're saying is before you put your money anywhere, uh, get, look for, uh, just as you get a second opinion, uh, don't just uh, throw the money on the table and say, uh, God bless it, I hope it does well, because you wanna look at it from the, can I, can I survive what I imagine to be the worst case scenario? Let me do the math in advance. If I put in 100, it grows to 400, and I shortly thereafter have $80,000, is that okay with me? That's a fundamental question. Only you can answer that question. And, and, and your answer should drive how you place your bets, if you will, all right? Where do you place your money? Because if you're, if you're like so many of us right now, in my opinion, we're pretty greedy. We see these highs, we see some of these gains, and we want to fully participate, but we're not at all uh, prepared for the kind of loss we saw earlier this year or what we've seen in history. And that's my real concern, that it, it, it could happen again. Uh, you know, there's been so many things that have happened around this pandemic, right? So when people say, well, we're, it's, everything's going back to normal, I'm going to suggest to you that you, you rethink that thought. <laughs> and we work a lot uh, with, uh, with engineers, for example, and they like looking at uh, a question from the standpoint, let's look at the worst case scenario. Don't show me the one that looks so rosy. And let's remember even roses have thorns. So I want to look at the worst case scenario and, and let's see if I can live with that. Because if I can't, then I need to make some adjustments while I can in advance. 
But if I can, then you're good, right? 100 becomes 400. Maybe you've got a $4 million inheritance coming after your account drops to 80,000. Who cares? You're good. <laughs> I'm not in that boat. I don't know many people who are, but some are. And so they could say, who cares? And most of us would say, uh-oh, uh, this is an OS moment and that doesn't stand for oh shucks. <laughs> so what else do you see here, Daniel? Well, it's one of those really strange times in the, in the stock market where we're, I think we're kind of at inflection points and we've seen a lot of volatility here in the last couple of weeks. And it looks like it's gonna be here to stay for a little while. And it's really unclear as to where it's gonna break out to the upside or to the downside. Um, I know for sure the administration wants to keep this market as high as possible and buoyant, at least through the election, because if it turns negative, that's going to look very bad for the administration. Yeah, this is true. In fact, uh, this is one of the things that people do look at in terms of how the market uh, impacts the elections. And it seems as though some studies suggest that uh, in fact, uh, this one goes back to 1987, it was done by LPL, but it looked at 87% of the time, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when the market was up three months for the first, for the three months prior to the election, that was, uh, that, that usually ended up in a favorable response where the incumbent gets to keep his job or her job. Um, and if the market is in negative territory for three months, well, now the challenger typically gets to take that job. So that's one of the indicators that is, is really interesting here. And as we're saying, this pandemic has caused, you know, or, or been one of the symptoms of so much uncertainty everywhere you look. I'm just saying, do not uh, revert to, oh, everything's just gonna go back to normal. Do look at it from best you can, worst case scenario, to see if you might be better prepared. And one of the ways that we do that, by the way, is to look at active management where money can be moved off uh, out of risk assets into cash in a bad year and, the, and then back into risk assets in a good year uh, for if that's important to you to kind of see what you can do to reduce your losses and greater diversification. That's what we're talking about from the standpoint. Pe tend to pe people tend to have maybe 60% stocks, 40% bonds, a little bit of cash. That's two or three legs under their stool. You might want to broaden the number of legs under that stool because nobody knows what's going to happen, but certainly that makes for a more substantial basis under the stool. And it also um, allows for the possibility that something may surprise you to the upside when so many of the things that you thought were solid disappoint you to the downside. All right. So we're just about out of time. All right, and maybe we'll just use that as, uh, look, we enjoy this work and part of the reason we're here is because we think we've done a good job with our existing clients in terms of how we've learned from 1987, 2000, 2002, 2008, fourth uh, quarter 2018, first quarter 2019. So we feel it is our responsibility to do what we can for frontline workers and every investor who wants to build a solid portfolio that can uh, weather the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. So as I say, everything we do is customized, uh, nothing is cookie cutter, and that's what's important to us for people to know what it is they're doing and why they're doing it so that they can see if I live too long or die too soon, financially, it's a non-event. We're as prepared as we can be for everything, but we keep looking to see what we might be missing 
because we don't just want to be Rip Van Winkle and go to sleep and expect everything to just be fine. Things are changing so dramatically, and sometimes they're, they're not to our way of liking. So we want to thank you all for joining us this afternoon. We'll, Daniel Medina and John Grace will be back next Wednesday at, at noon Pacific time. If you have any questions, feel free to send those to us, and we'll make sure we include them in our remarks. Thank you so much. Stay safe, stay well, keep your mask on and keep your distance, please. We wanna see you next week. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time and 12 noon Pacific time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week. 